So I love this story because of Jacob's well. Jesus goes to Jacob's well and meets a Samaritan woman. But you have to know the background behind Jacob's well. It's a very ancient story. It's actually at the beginning of the book of Genesis. That's how ancient it is. And Jacob, the name Jacob means trickster. And Jacob is a very selfish young man. Um, he's very selfish. Uh, he's not that good of a guy. Um, and God in this dream says, Jacob, I am a better Jacob trickster than you are. Um, God is going to lead him to this conversion. So he, he loves this dream. But okay, God, you think you're a better trickster than I am? And Jacob only thinks of himself. The next day, he goes to this well. He happens to be this well. It has this huge rock covering it. And he sees this woman at the well and immediately falls deeply in love with her. The rest of his life, that she is the love of his life. Sees her and in kind of this he-man strength, goes over, lifts the rock off the well, then goes over to her, grabs her, and plants this open mouth kiss right on her. I mean, honest to God, this is the book of Genesis. So like, this is better than any Hallmark movie. Um, it's incredibly passionate story. And the best part is, Jacob is being tricked. He falls deeply in love with her, and it's the beginning of him losing his selfishness. Now, all he cares about is somebody else. It's the beginning of him really becoming a holy man where he learns to love. And so um, I love that symbol. Now, what you have to understand is, um, oh, oh, by the way, that well is still today. That well is so ancient. It dates back to Neolithic times, incredibly ancient. But, um, and so I don't want to embarrass anybody. You know, that's not my style. Um, <laughs> But Deacon Chris shows me this video of his wife, Mary, at Jacob's well. You can still go to it. And she goes and lowers a bucket and pulls it back up. And I said, well, for the love of God, when she pulled the bucket up, why didn't she be like Jacob and just walk over and throw it and kiss her? Um, but they tend to be kind of prudish people. But um, like, the point being is, um, this sounds kind of strange. You have this theme of water, rock, and love. And water in the Bible, one of the major symbols of water in the Bible is that of love. If you notice in the Bible, every single person in the Bible, um, when they get near water, they discover the love of their life. Jacob, da, 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 Moses, da, everybody, they get near water and they see the love of their life. Water in the ancient world was like the e-harmony. Um, that's where you discover the love of your life. And if you're wondering, just symbolically, why do Catholics have holy water at the doors of the church? You pass through the water, it's here where you're going to discover the real love of your life. And that's Christ. And so um, you have this theme of water, rock, and love. So in this very ancient well, the well of Jacob, Jesus is in Samaria, and he's at the well of Jacob. But it's a Samaritan's now well. It's in the northern part of Israel. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Because what the Samaritans are, they're half Hebrews. Up in the north was the ten tribes. 
They were conquered. They were mixed with five different nationalities. And the Jews hated that because they polluted Hebrew blood. So the Jews are in the south. Um, the rest of the tribes are in the north. But their blood has been uh, polluted. So the Jews hated the Samaritans. So much so that, um, anyhow, uh, they would have nothing to do with them. So there's this, I'm just going to tell you where I'm headed in this homily so I don't lose you in the weeds. You have a choice, and this is the point of the homily. You have a choice. Is your religion going to be that of who to shame, who to cut off, little tiny rules, or is your religion going to be one of love? Christ makes a choice in this. Christ is sitting at the well, and this woman comes up, Samaritan, and he talks to her. Now, there, Jesus breaks all these little rules. Rule number one. Believe it or not, a man in Judaism is not allowed to talk to another woman except his wife in public. Even at the time of Christ, a father wouldn't even speak to his daughter in public. So for Jesus to talk to a woman that's not his wife breaks Hebrew law. And worst of all, she's not just a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. So the apostles, they're kind of shocked. She even she, why, she, the woman says, why are you a Jewish man speaking to me? Um, so that's odd. And Jesus asks her for water. Well, another rule in Judaism, little tiny rule, is that we can never share from the same cup as other people. So a Jew should never share from the same cup as a Samaritan. That's why she says, well, why would you be asking me that? That breaks religious rules. And by the way, the reason why we share in one cup means we're not going to be a religion that shames other people. We share in one cup, which means, no, like, we're not going to shame people. Uh, so there's all these little tiny rules that Jesus is breaking. Um, are you going to be a re religion of little tiny rules just to divide people so that we're better than they are or share one cup? And the woman comes at noon. The, that's a key thing because women would draw the water in early morning when it's cool. If she's coming at noon, it's because there's something wrong with her. She's been married five times. She's rejected by the rest of the village. So... You know, she doesn't have her life together. She's been running after lover after lover after lover, never the right one. So the people reject her. Um, so she has a lot of rejection. And she, the same way the Samaritans were a mix of five different other uh, nations, she's had five husbands. Um, and so she's kind of, oh, there's another thing. The Samaritans, they didn't believe in the Christ. Uh, that's a Jewish concept. They believed in uh, the Tamid. The Tamid w was a Christ. That's in Genesis. Uh, the Savior was projected. But um, it wasn't descended from the Jews. And the Tamid would come back and show them the way of love. And remember, this is kind of key. Um, one of the prophecies of the Christ is that when the Christ would come, he would marry us to God. That Religion will become a religion of love. Christ is the bridegroom, that we'd be married in love. So if you go to communion, technically, I'm not going to explain it, 
That's a marriage ceremony. You're married to Christ. Your life is supposed to be lived in love. So he asks her for water. Now, here's the point. Um, then he reveals her sins to her, that she spent her life chasing after the wrongs of husband after husband after husband. Um, now, by the way, I'm going off on a tangent again. Um, like, notice Jesus, when he talks to her, doesn't say, well, I tell you what, give me your paperwork, um, and then, you know, you need several annulments for these marriages. Give me your paperwork, and then I'll speak to you. He doesn't, do you, you know, like, this is my opinion. Oh, yeah, annulments, they date back to the time of St. Paul. I have no problem with that. But in the last couple hundred years, annulments, we invented paperwork. Um, and for you to get an annulment, it is a massive amount of paperwork. Um, Jesus doesn't say to the Samaritan woman, go get your paperwork and come back to me in a year. He doesn't do that. That's more shaming. Does that make sense? So, like, I personally don't like that. In the ancient church, uh, like in the East, you know what the practice used to be if you needed an annulment? You just go to the priest and go to confession. No paperwork. That's a modern invention. Are you going to be a religion of love or little tiny rules and regulations? Um, and so he says this great line to her. He says, and the one that you're with now is not your true husband. When he says that, who is she with right now? Okay, why is it this side always gets the answer? Um, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom who's going to marry us in true love to God. So, yeah, she's been chasing after the wrong things. And he reveals her sins. And um, doesn't, do, doesn't reveal her sins like the town does to shame her, to keep her down and isolate it. He reveals her sins so that, wow, she learns really what her heart really thirsts for. Uh, what it really does is God. So I, I love this story. It's Jacob's well, this place of love, um, where uh, she discovers uh, the love of her life. And this sounds kind of strange. The point being is that are we going to be a religion that shames people for their mistakes or are we going to be a religion where, yes, we want Christ to reveal our sins so that we can truly love each other? We want to be like the Samaritan woman and discover the love of our life. And when she does, think about this. When she does discover you know, Christ and has this water of life, her heart is broken open. She's not bitter. She runs back to the village and tells them. Think about this. These are the people that rejected her in her entire, entire life. She's not bitter. She runs back and her heart is broken and it pours out life. And the point being is that what Christ really hungers and thirsts for is us. And what we really hunger and thirst for is Christ. We just run around trying to find other things. So remember, the apostles went off to get food for Jesus. They come back and Jesus said, no, I've, I've already had something. And they think, well, who brought him a sandwich? Um, it's not food that he really longs for. It's our love. He thirsts for our love. And whether you know it or not, we really thirst for Christ. We just spend our life running around after silly things. So the idea on the scrutiny Sunday, we pray, yeah, reveal our sins so that our hearts are broken open. The rock is removed. 
and there's this flow of love. Same thing happens in the, the first reading, where the first reading is they're Hebrews in Egypt, they're set free, they're traveling through the desert, and they start to complain. And all they do is complain as they're traveling. There's 10 major complaints. They just whine, complain, and uh, kvetch about everything. Um, three main complaints, no water, no bread, and no flesh. But all they do is complain, and they say, you know what we really hunger for? We thirst to be slaves again. <laughs> oh my God, they were killing, the Egyptians were killing their children, but they don't know how to handle freedom. So at Horeb, they're on this uh, terrible trip. They make it to Mount Horeb, so my joke is it's a horrible trip. It's Horeb. Do you get the joke? It's a good joke. So at Horeb, um, they complain about no water. So God says to Moses, take your staff, strike the rock, and water will come from the rock. And he does. And they have plenty of water. Uh, so much so, they take the rock with them. So it always supplies the water. And St. Paul says, who is that rock? That rock is Christ. Christ is a rock that the water flows out of. And the same way it was struck in flow water, Christ wants to break our hearts open so our hearts flow with the river of life and love for other people. Um, so the point being is that, yeah, at Meribah and Massa, that's when they realize, you know what? All we do is complain and kvetch. That's when they realized that uh, our lives, we don't really hunger for God. We hunger for Egypt. Same thing. In our hearts, do we really hunger to be slaves to something or to the source of all life and love? Break our hearts open. Let us see our sins so that our hearts can pour forth in love. Lent, the reason why we do these things in Lent, we want to see our sins. We want our hearts broken open so that we truly become this religion of love. So for 2,000 years, Catholics on this Sunday have the scrutinies. Anybody who's entering the church kneels for the first time. And we pray. You're supposed to be doing this all week this week. Pray that Christ reveals your sins. Not to shame you, but so that we become a religion of love. And like, this sounds kind of strange. Um, on the first scrutiny in the eastern side of the Orthodox Church, on the Vespers before first scrutinies, there's this evening prayer, and the priest would stand up in front of the community and confess what mistakes he made as a priest this year leading the people. And like, I, I love that. Could you imagine me doing that? And, and so he does that the night before. Then on the Sunday of the first scrutiny, um, when people go to communion, the priest, you know, the body of Christ, and if they forgive him, they say, I forgive you. But could you imagine, like, we took, the, at one time in our religion, we took the scrutinies very serious. Like, if I had to stand up and confess my sins, I think it'd be, I'm too easygoing. Um, <laughs> yes, that's a joke. I am not easygoing. I, I can be almost curt and inflexible. That is actually because I feel overwhelmed and like, what, you can't, you don't know how to make an appointment? How do you know not a calendar works? Like, I know I'm too rigid and I apologize. There's many mistakes I make. But the idea is that if I do that, then on the first, first scrutiny, you're supposed to be able to look at your sins so that when you offer people the sign of peace, 
you know your sins, so you can be compassionate with other people. Like, I'm 60 here, 60, right? And the amazing part is, I can think back to my youth about some incredibly stupid things I did. And you know, I don't want to forget any of them. I've confessed them, but I don't want to f forget any of my horrible things I've done, because then I can be compassionate to other people. We're our sins are supposed to make us more loving. Or this other guy um, at the eight o'clock mass said, you know, he said, I've always regretted when I was an older guy, when I was in elementary school, he was at this Catholic school and just playing for the other boys. There's one boy who had uh, polio and so was crippled. And when he was walking, he would trip him and all the other little boys would laugh. And he said, I went to confession for it, but I still feel awful to this day. So he volunteers taking care of special needs kids. And I, I love that because yeah, if we really know our sins, if we really scrutinize our own lives and remember our sins, not to condemn other people, it makes us, it breaks our hearts so that we can become this religion of love. And so, yeah, we hear about the Samaritan woman. We're supposed to be the Samaritan woman. We pray. Yeah, let's show those people entering the church. We take conversion serious year after year after year. We want to have our hearts broken so that we can truly love other people. Let us be Jacob at the well. Have the stone in us removed so we become true lovers. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.